Hey, we are back in Romans, so if you have your Bibles, open up to chapter 12. We put Romans on pause for about three weeks so that Danny and I could talk to you about where we are going as a church and the things that we feel like God is leading us to, to focus on for 2016. And I'll tell you that Paul's couldn't have come at a better time because if Romans, if the book of Romans was done as a play, chapters 1 through 11 would be act 1. If it was done as a play, the, the intermission of that play would come right here between chapters 11 and 12. And so as we begin to look at chapters 12 through 16, the rest of this letter here, we are essentially starting the second act of the play. And you'll see why in just a minute. But first, let's stand together and read the first two verses of Romans 12. Paul says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's pray. Lord, I am so grateful for your word. Lord, we know that we would be absolutely lost without it. And so, Lord, I pray that by your spirit, you would open our eyes to see the truth that you are wanting us to see this morning. Lord, I'm asking that our minds would be renewed by your truth. Lord, that would you continue to do the change in us that you want to do, that you may be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Romans 12, 1 and 2 is probably one of the more popular texts in the Bible. I'm sure there are some of you who could probably quote those two verses by heart. I know many of us have heard many sermons on Romans 1 and 2. Preachers love that text because there is just so much contained in just those two verses. I mean, I could actually think of several sermons that I could preach just from those two verses. In fact, there is so much contained in this that even though we just read verse 1 and 2, tell you the truth, we're not going to even get out of verse 1 this morning. Not only that, we're not even going to get out of the first part of verse 1. And the reason for that is because there is a word here in this first verse that is going to force us to camp on it for just a little bit. And if we didn't camp on this word, we would miss the entire point of the book of Romans. That's how important this word is. It may actually be the most important word in the whole letter of Romans. And it's the very first word of chapter 12, the word therefore. Now I've talked to you before about the importance of a therefore and how whenever you come to one when you're reading the scripture, you always need to make sure that you know what was said right before that therefore because it is going to tie everything that was said before it to what it's about to say after it. And nowhere does that apply more than in Romans 12.1. With this word, Paul is now moving from doctrine to application. 
He has taken everything that he has said in chapters 1 through 11 about God and sin and Christ and salvation. And now he is about to tell us what we should do with all of that. From here on, Paul is going to tell us how to take the truths of Romans 1 through 11 and apply them to life. And what this tells us is something that we must understand this morning. It's the first point if you're following along in your notes. The Christian life is built on something. It's built on something. It's not just a set of ideals. It's not an arbitrary list of rules to go by. It's not a moral code of conduct. It's not uh, one way for us to achieve success in life, nor is it simply just one of many religions for us to choose to follow. It is a life built on the most solid of all foundations. Paul spent 11 chapters and we spent 30 weeks laying the foundation for the building that is going to be constructed in chapters 12 through 16. Romans 12 through 16 tells us how to live as Christians. But if someone didn't know and they wanted to find out what it meant to live as a Christian, I'm telling you now, Romans 12 is not where they should start. Because if you read, all you read was chapters 12 through 16 without reading anything in chapters 1 through 11, you would be building a house with absolutely no foundation. And what happens to a house with no foundation? It eventually falls down. And so when Paul says in Romans 12, 1, therefore I urge you, he is saying the life I am wanting you to live is built on something. It doesn't come out of nowhere. It has roots. It has a foundation. I cannot stress this enough. And this is precisely why I am always harping on the fact that everything we do and preach and teach in this church must be centered on the gospel constantly because the gospel is the foundation of the Christian life. Next point in your notes, and I want you to burn this into your mind. Christian living without the gospel is nothing but dead religion. It's just behavior modification without heart transformation. It's why I keep repeating that the gospel isn't something that we start with for salvation And then move on to something else. There shouldn't be anything else. The gospel isn't just for us getting saved. It is for all of the Christian life. From salvation all the way up to glorification when we finally check out of here. You move away from the gospel and you completely move away from true Christianity. But there are many churches today that have done just that. They moved away from the foundation of the gospel and have gotten into other stuff. And the result that usually comes when when that happens, there's really one of two outcomes. You go to a church like that and what you will see that the church is mostly about, it will either be motivational speeches or guilt-laden sermons that is all about 
behavioral instruction. It's all centered on what you must do rather than on what Christ has done. Or you go to that church and it's going to be attempts to work everyone's emotions up into a frenzy and it makes it all about the emotional experience. The announcement of the gospel is replaced by either behavioral instruction or emotional experience. You've got the walls of a house with absolutely no foundation. Now, don't get me wrong. There is nothing wrong with instruction, and there is nothing wrong with emotional experience. But if those two things don't spring up from a constant foundation of the gospel, they're nothing. They are nothing but people coming together to absolutely waste their time. Behavioral instruction and emotional experience should be the results of the gospel. They should be built on something rather than trying to make them stand alone by themselves. The Christian life is built on something. This may be obvious to you, and I hope it is. But for millions of people, it is not. I mean, take Hinduism, for example. In Hinduism, you can have any religious belief that you want to follow, but you're expected to live out what they call dharma, which means the way of life. Whatever religion you choose, you're expected to participate in the values and customs of organized society in a peaceful and responsible way. And so if a Hindu finds you to be a person of kindness and character and responsibility, it doesn't matter to him if you have a different religious belief than he does. All that matters is that you are a person of dharma. And so within Hinduism, you can find all kinds of different religious beliefs that people follow. And that's why in India, where Hinduism is most prominent, it's not that difficult to get somebody to believe in Jesus because they're just going to add him to all the other gods that they have decided to believe in, especially if they think that Jesus is going to help them achieve this dharma. What is difficult is to get them to see that he is the only way, that he is the one true God, and he will not share his glory with another. It's hard for them to follow Jesus if it means rejecting all of their other gods and belief systems in order to do it. And so Hinduism has no therefore like the gospel does. It doesn't teach 11 chapters of clear, objective, historical, spiritual truth about the nature of God and then say, therefore, live the way that these truths demand. It is not rooted in a foundation of truth. And the unfortunate reality is that many Christians essentially live this same way. They strive to live according to some type of biblical standard, but without a therefore to base it on. Well, I'll take that back. They may actually have a therefore, but it's not the therefore of Romans 12.1. It may be something like, I want other people to think well of me, therefore I'm going to try to live this moral life. Or I want God to like me, I want him to bless me, therefore I'm going to try to live the way that he talks about in the Bible. 
or I want to be a better athlete. I want to get good grades. I want to be able to find the right mate. Therefore, I am going to live according to these biblical principles. Those are not solid foundations for you to build your life on. The therefore of Romans 12, 1 is because God has made me a vessel of his mercy through the shed blood of Jesus Christ when I was dead in my sin, therefore I live this way. There are some of you here today, you've built your life completely your own way and Jesus is not the foundation of it. He's an addition to what you have built on your own. You may have him there to make your structure look better or to be there in case you get in a pinch. If one of the walls of your structure seems to be falling down, you can call on him to help shore it up. But he's not the foundation that the whole structure is based on and built from. Listen to me. Jesus will not be just an addition. He will not. He's either the foundation that everything is built from or he's nothing. Being a Christian means allowing him first to tear down everything that you have built. That's a picture of repentance and then making him the foundation from which your life is built anew. That's what it means to be in Christ, not having him just to be an accessory to your life. He will not be just the window dressing to a building of your own design. Psalm 127.1 says, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Don't let your life be built in vain. Make Jesus the foundation everything in your life comes from. Now, here's one way that we make the gospel the foundation from which we live. Next point in your notes. The Christian life isn't lived wishing for what God will do. It is lived because of what God has done. In other words, we don't act a certain way and do certain things so that we can get something from God in return. The motivation of how we live shouldn't be so that God will bless me, so that God will like me, so that he will eventually let me into heaven. The motivation should be from what God has already done through Jesus. God has blessed me. He has displayed his amazing love from, for me through the cross of his son. I am saved. He has forgiven me. He has shown me mercy. He has made me new. Therefore, this is how I live. Because Jesus has, I now can. The foundation and the motivation for living is based on what Christ has done and what we have in him now, not on what we hope to get from him in return. There's something else Paul says here in verse 1 that I find pretty interesting. He says, therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God. Think about this. Out of all the things that Paul could have picked in chapters 1 through 11 
as the root foundation of your life in Christ, he picks the mercies of God. I mean, having written of God's wrath and righteous judgment and our fall and sin and the consequences of that and Jesus' death and resurrection and having written about the coming of the Holy Spirit to sanctify and keep us and our justification by faith alone and then wrapping it all up by writing about God's absolute sovereignty and the faithfulness to all of his promises out of all of that he could have chosen he picks this one great reality above all others the mercies of God through Jesus Christ if we had to sum up what chapters 1 through 11 of Romans was all about in just a few words I believe an accurate summation would be the mercy of God through Christ that's what the first act if you will of Romans is all about How God went to great lengths to work out every detail of his divine plan in order to display the magnificence of his great mercy to all creation. And that's how Paul sums it up in verse 31 of chapter 11. He writes, because of the mercy shown to you, they also may now be shown mercy. The gospel is not just the historical account of Jesus. It is the great announcement that God's mercy has been made available to those who don't deserve it. The gospel isn't explained as much as it is announced. That's why it's called good news. Good news is announced. And that is what Paul is saying we need to build our lives on. And the reason we must build our lifestyle Oh, God's mercy in Jesus is because the point of Christianity is to glorify God's mercy in Jesus. Next point. We exist, you and me, we exist to put God's mercy in Christ on full display. That's what we were created for. And so Paul spends 11 chapters unpacking the mercy of God in the work of Jesus and then says, build your lives on this. Live a life that displays the mercy of God in Jesus. That is what you were created for. That is what you were saved for. I'll jump ahead a little bit and look at what Romans 15, 8 and 9 says. For I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision on behalf of the truth of God to confirm the promises given to the fathers and for the Gentiles, that's you and me, to glorify God for his mercy. The aim of Paul's letter to the Christians living in Rome and to all Christians ultimately is that we might make the mercy of God look great. In this world. Now let's take a peek ahead into chapter 12 a little bit. So you can see how Paul begins to flesh out how the mercy of God is displayed in our lives. Verse 9. He says, let love be without hypocrisy. Verse 13, contribute to the needs of the saints. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you. That's mercy. 
15, weep with those who weep. At the end of 16, he says, associate with the lowly. Students, those of you who are in school right now, I'm sure every one of you can think of a person on your campus that would fit this category, the lowly, the outcast, the one that everybody rejects, the one that everybody makes fun of, the one that's not cool, the one that nobody wants to be around. For you to actually extend kindness to that person on your campus when everybody else is making fun of them is to display the mercy of God through Jesus. Associate with the lowly. Verse 17, never pay back evil for evil to anyone. That's mercy. Verse 19, never take your own revenge. Verse 20, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. That's mercy. And so we say, because of God's mercy in Christ, therefore, I do this and don't do that. Because of God's mercy in Christ, therefore, I speak this way and not that way. Because of God's mercy in Christ, therefore, I display this kind of attitude and put that kind to death. Because I exist to glorify the mercy of God in Christ, I live this way and not the way I used to live. The Christian life is built on something. Parents, we should be teaching our children that the behaviors and attitudes that we expect for them are built on something. Don't just say, because I said so. Help them understand and see that the reason why we do certain things and don't do certain other things is because of the mercy of God in Christ Jesus. Help them see that Christian living is not a list of do's and don'ts. We are not trying to get them to live this way just so they can be productive members of society. It is a way of displaying the mercy of God through Christ. It is doing what you are created to do in your life. Help them see that this life we're teaching them to live is built on the gospel, the beauty of Christ crucified and him risen and reigning. And if we could get our kids to see that, it makes such a difference. And to you young people, not just to young people, but really to all of us, The question isn't what's wrong with this music or this movie or this party. The question is, how can I live in a way that shows my friends the worth of Jesus above all music and movies and parties? It is to say the reason I don't listen to that music The reason I don't watch those movies or go to that party or give my body to someone is because there is something far better than all of that. The question we should all ask ourselves is, how can I live to show that Jesus didn't come into the world to save sinners so that I can party better, but so that I can love better and die better? Parents, 
Let's cultivate in our homes an understanding of the word therefore in Romans 12.1. Help your children absorb this worldview that the Christian life has roots. It has a foundation. Because of the truth of Romans 1 through 11, therefore, I live the life of Romans 12 through 16. And as we begin to move into these chapters, we are moving into a world of mercy. Why? Because our lives are built on something. They're rooted in something. They're founded in something. They are built on the mercies of God in Jesus Christ. You know, God's timing, the way he shows he works every detail of things, it just never ceases to amaze me. We started this Roman series back in May of last year. And it just so happens that we finished chapter 11 and act one of Romans at the beginning of this new year, the beginning of January, right before we spend three weeks talking about where God is leading us as a church. He's leading us to, of course, a greater focus on spiritual growth and relationships and And now that we've done that for three weeks, here we are back in Romans picking up with the application part, with Act 2. And everything Paul writes from here on out is written in the context of community and relationships. Because that is the only way for us to display the mercy of God in Christ. And so the last point, relationships are where we put God's mercy in Christ on display. You can't do that as an island under yourself, disconnected from relationships with other people. Who are you going to show mercy to? can't do it alone. Out at my house, I have a, a big front yard that's really more like a small pasture that we have made into a baseball slash softball field. Somebody gave me these two chain-link dog kennels, those big dog pens that you can set up, and I took those and stacked one on top of the other to make a backstop, and so we've got the backstop and the bases measured all just right out there, and a pitcher's mound, we've got the foul lines going down, and so it's basically a regulation-sized field, except it's only got about three-fourths of an outfield. But it's a baseball field. Because my kids like playing baseball and softball. But I tell you, as, as neat as that field may be, it is absolutely useless if my kids or anyone else don't have the tools and the equipment and the instruction on how to play. How to use that field like it's supposed to be used. And so for my kids to be able to enjoy it, I had to give them the equipment, the tools, and the instruction. And so we've got a bucket of balls and bats and helmets and gloves, the whole nine yards. And I get out there and teach them how to do it well. They better get out there. Do you know how we are? By God, you're going to get out there and have fun because of the work that I put into building this thing. (laughs) You're going to have fun, dadgummit, and I quit crying. For the last three weeks, Danny and I have essentially been explaining to you what the field looks like. 
We've been constructing that field. We've implemented these groups to be able to do the things that we feel like God is, is telling us to, to focus on. There'll be places where we facilitate spiritual growth and provide ways for people to connect with one another in relationships. And then last week, I pointed out how there's going to be some stuff out in that field that we may step in from time to time. And as we go through these last five chapters of Romans, we will be getting the tools, the equipment, and the instruction for us to be able to know how to utilize the field the way it's supposed to be. Romans 12 through 16 is how we do relationship with one another in a way that glorifies the mercies of God in Jesus. Isn't it neat how God just worked and timed all that out together? I promise you it wasn't me. I didn't plan on all that. I I have a hard time just planning on what I'm going to do next week, much less something like that. It's just God just, you're going to do this and this, and I'm going to guide you right along the way. And so... God's doing something, so I would suggest that you get in on it. It's going to be good. And as we do this, as we move forward in this, we cannot forget that this is all built on something. We cannot move away from the foundation. We must stay focused and centered on the gospel because that is the foundation from which everything else has to be built. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your unbelievable mercy. God, I just acknowledge right here on behalf of this church, Lord, that we recognize the fact that the only reason we are here today, the only reason we even have air in our lungs to be able to breathe is because of your mercy. The only reason we can stand in here and worship you and celebrate the fact that our sins have been washed away and forgiven. Celebrate the fact that we have been made right with a holy God. is not because of anything in us or anything that we have done. It is only because of your mercy extended to us when we least deserved it. So, Holy Spirit, I'm asking you to take this truth of the mercies of God in Christ and renew our minds, transform our hearts, that we may walk in the humility. What an awesome thing that is. God, I believe we take it for granted too much. We try to exalt ourselves above anything that you do. Lord, I thank you for the forgiveness that is available to us for even that. And so, Holy Spirit, would you come and have your way? Lord, I pray for those in here who, when I start speaking about their life being built according to their own design and their own way and, and you just being an addition to it, God, when, when something jumped in them and they realized that they are the ones that you are talking to in that, God, I pray that you would bring them to a, a the glorious place of repentance. Lord, they would allow you to tear down all the junk that they have constructed. Lord, they believe so much in the lies of how great and grand and pretty and successful it is when reality, it's all going to fall apart. So Lord, I'm asking for just a spirit and an attitude of repentance to sweep across this church body right now. So that our lives can be built on something better. 
lives can be built on your mercy that has been displayed to us and poured out to us through the blood of your innocent son. So Holy Spirit, come and make that happen, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to spend the rest of the time worshiping God for the mercy that he has poured out to us in Jesus. And if you are one of the ones that God is calling to, wooing you into repentance right now, realizing that Jesus isn't the foundation, that he's just there for your convenience, then I encourage you to come down here. Let one of us, the leaders on these front rows down here, pray with you. Lead you into that prayer of repentance and celebrate with you the fact that God is doing this incredible thing in you. I ask us all to just be sensitive to however the Holy Spirit leads the remainder of our time together. Let's all stand as we do that.